Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. I'm glad you're here to join us tonight. I have a slew of great stories to share with you, but before I do, I want to remind everyone of a little service I started called Cryptid Crate. Cryptid Crate is the first and only monthly subscription box service catered specifically for cryptozoology and paranormal fans. The first month's box just shipped last week, and the positive reviews are already pouring in. Included in this latest box was an autographed copy of Lyle Blackburn's Lizard Man book and an awesome interactive t-shirt by a brilliant artist named Julian Meyer at Cryptid Zoo. In addition, there were several other awesome items to boot. Start your subscription today by visiting www.cryptidcrate.com. Now, let's get on with the show. There are certain places on Earth that can only be described as infamous. Swatches of land or sea that hold a secret and often seem to do anything it can to keep that secret. People often shudder at the very mention of names such as the Bermuda Triangle, Skinwalker Ranch, the Suicide Forest of Japan, and the infamous Bridgewater Triangle. Our first story of the evening takes place in the latter, a story that harkens back to the fifth episode of this podcast in which I explored several encounters with entities ranging from ghosts and UFOs to upright ape-like creatures in the terrifying Pukwudgie. The following story is from a Bridgewater resident. This is John's Encounter. How you doing? This is John, John F., I live in Bridgewater, Massachusetts, um, and actually had an, an encounter with something. I don't know if it was Sasquatch or something else. I know this area, there have been reports, and I hear, you know, I love cryptozoology, and I really got into it ever since my encounter. And, well, my friend is, the only person I've told was my friend Jeff, and convinced me to call in tonight, because I really had pressed to tell my encounter. I don't want people thinking I'm crazy because I'm a big skeptic myself. I believe in I believe in the paranormal cryptozoology. Seventy percent of it is horse apple. Um, people just wanting attention and uh, etc. But 
um, I've been listening to a lot of stories, and everybody in the field knows about Bridgewater Mass, the Bridgewater Triangle, and I've been seeing it on TV lately, which I had no idea about when I first moved about five years. But um, I did have something that was pretty, pretty um, co coincidental, I would say. Um, I live in this Bridgewater across from Bridgewater University called Waterford Village. It's an apartment complex, has about 600 apartments. Nice place, very, very overpriced, but that's another story for another day. Um, but if you keep going to one of these apartments in the back, there's, there's a lot of forest. There's a creek or a creek, whatever. That's in the back. There's a trail that goes back there. I um, I went back there one time. And I saw that there was there was a fire that was burned up. There's some logs. It was all black. It was right about 20 feet from the side of the creek, river, whatever you want to call it. So I decided with my friend, another friend, that we go have a fire one night. So we go over there. It was during the winter. Um, there was some snow on the ground. It was, you know, wasn't. But I think it was, I want to say, January 2013. Um, but we, we, one night we were over there, we had a fire, and we, we had a fire, we just, you know, hang, you know, just hanging out. It's dark, and we decided to go to sleep. About, I don't know, it was late, probably like 2 a.m., sometime like that. I get woken up. By, by noise. I look around me, it's kind of hard. I, I kind of forget where I am at the first second. And I come to, and I see my friend is not there. I'm like, wow, that's strange. Where the hell did he go? But he wasn't there. Just then, I start hearing noise in the water, some splashing, some moving. And I'm hearing something coming towards me. I can make out a little bit over the fire. I yelled out, I yelled out at it. My friend, or whatever it was, still a little hazy at the moment. But, I said, um, said, who is that, or don't come here, something like that. I was trying to, you know, make, you know, I was worried about my safety. I was very worried. Uh, I couldn't run. If I if I decided to run, it would have brought me closer to whatever it was. The trail went out that way. So, and and I was just frozen. Um, never encountered anything like this. But I could see it approaching. I could see it over the fire. Um, I could see an outline. It was a black figure. I couldn't tell what, it looked very large and broad-shouldered, typical, you know, like Bigfoot encounter. But I'm looking at it, um, I'm just, in my mind, I'm still, you know, thinking a person, I don't know why anybody would be out there that time of night. Um, but, you know, there are, there's a lot of people around. It's a little bit in the woods, but, you know, some of the people come out walking their dogs and whatnot. Probably not at that time. But, but anyway, you know, it's always in the back of my mind. But I can see, um, I can see it, I can see it vaguely through an outline, a big black figure, broad shoulders, and I can see it making, making this kind of movement side to side, bobbing around, fidgeting, like very unnatural, very fast, and it was just weird, weird, and that freaked me out. So just then, it, it starts to come towards me, it takes like two steps, and then it stops, sits there, tries to look at me, it turns around, takes off, I can hear it go boom, boom. I can hear the footsteps, one, two steps, running through the water. It had to be like only four steps through that water. And if it was going to be any of us, it would, it would take at least 10 steps through that across the lake. And, and it's up to you, to, to about your knees. So the way, and, and the, fat, the speed that he was going through that, over that river, it had to be, it couldn't have been that to his knees. You can just hear he cut right through that water like it was 
then you can hear it crashing to the other side. I take off. I run to my house. I, I just then I check my phone. I get all these text messages from my friends saying, you know, the same thing. I took off. I could, I'm sorry. I left you, blah, blah, That's another story. But I run into my house, run into my room, and I'm scared. I can't sleep, can't do nothing. I'm afraid that things going to come in through my wall, my window, whatever. It's yeah, I just feel very unsafe, very, very petrified. It's too strange. After it ran off, it, it was, I can just, I knew it was something. I knew it was, a, I knew it was just, I, it was something. Something like humanoid, whatever. There's stuff out there that you can't explain. And around this area, it's renowned for that. So, so, um... But I, but I went. I finally got to sleep. I went back there the next morning to look around, see if I could see any tracks or anything like that. And I saw a footprint. I have a picture of it. The big foot, very long, not too wide. You can see the toes clearly in the footprint. I didn't notice it until I was on my way out after I walked through the area. So you can. There's a couple of mine that are fresh, and this one's next to it. So at at the moment, I'm looking at the footprint. Everything in mind is telling you it's not legit. Just, if you go through something like that, it's weird. Everything's telling you it's not legit. So I take the picture, and um, and I just kept telling myself it's not real, but then after after I'm looking at it and showed somebody, it comes to you that, you know, there's no debate. Because it's a long foot. It's not like this two footprints made up or anything. You can see it's a human footprint, but it's huge. Not human, but you can see it has toes in it. So it comes to you where, wow, there's no debate after what happened and, and seeing this with toes in it, it's, it's only one thing. You have to accept it. It's hard, especially for somebody like me who has to see something to believe. And I did. I did. And, I, and um, so that's, you know, that's my story. So I've been in the Bridgewater area. It's not much forest out here. It's not like Western Mass, you know, Washington or something like that. But this patches, and it can it can walk through these patches. And the Hockamock Swamp is only a few miles, which is this you know quote unquote epicenter of the Bridgewater Triangle. And um, it's definitely it can walk and migrate through, which you know they do. They migrate. They don't stay in one place. So uh, one you know if you want to call it a rogue migrated through, and it, it checked out. My fire was like a beacon. You know, it came up, took off. Didn't do me for one of the hurt me. It could have. But I just, I always, I never believed these type of things. I mean, I did, but I never thought anything would happen to me. I never really saw anything. I always thought this stuff was exaggerated, which it is for TV and whatnot. But um, there is truth. There is smoke this fire. And uh, just because there's a lot of hoaxes and attention seekers and embellishers, you know, it doesn't mean there's not some truth. So this is John F. from Bridgewater, Mass. Um, thank you very much. Keep doing your thing. I love your podcast. I love that it's skeptical as well and give a rationale because a lot of podcasts I see that people are just, they go all in and, uh, on these people's stories and they don't question the rationale. They just accept it. And I like the fact that you tell these stories and you're passionate about it like I am. I'm very passionate about it. I love these stories of the unknown, paranormal, cryptozoology. But I'm also, I take it with a grain of salt. I, I know when people are telling the truth. I know when people are for shit, and I can easily decipher the two. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. Always keep one eye open. And uh, thank you very much. And by the way, I got I got to your podcast through Extended Perspective. Today. I never knew you guys even had a podcast. If I knew, I would have been listening to you a lot earlier while I'm working on my headphones. It gets me through. But I'm glad I found you. Thanks.
Thank you, John, for sharing your story. As I mentioned in the opening, the Bridgewater Triangle and the Hackamack Swamp area is rife with a wide range of paranormal activity. It's no surprise that this location has the ability to sway even the hardest of skeptics. John's encounter pretty much runs the gamut as far as paranormal experiences go. Not only did he see the creature, but he heard it and collected footprint evidence as well. I'd love to share the photo with listeners if you'd be willing to send it in, John. What a chilling encounter, for sure. Now, for those that did not have the displeasure of listening to the early episodes, I will play the following clip from Fox 25 out of Boston, Massachusetts. It details a few experiences from within the Triangle's boundaries. Southeastern Massachusetts, a leafy glade of New England highways, a throwback to simpler days. It is also one of the most haunted areas in the country. 200 square miles of fright, encompassing 12 cities and towns, better known as the Bridgewater Triangle. Abington being the top of it, Rehoboth the western corner, and Freetown being the eastern corner. Ghost hunter Andrew Lake has been investigating the paranormal here in New England for decades. For some unexplainable reason, parts of Bristol and Plymouth County have been shrouded in darkness for hundreds of years. From cryptid animals to uh, phantom lights, uh, UFOs, uh, and, and ghosts. Witnesses say those mystic creatures prowl the Hockamock Swamp, located in the Triangle's heart of Bridgewater, Easton, Norton, Rainham, and Taunton. Hockamock, Algonquin for Dark Place, has spawned stories of prehistoric pterodactyls taking flight, 30-foot alligators, and half-man, half-ape-like giants thrashing through the woods. Because we're talking 17,000 acres of swamp, and if you've ever really walked into the outskirts of the Hockamock, it is a dense forest and swamp, and I can easily believe that there are animals in there that people don't see on a regular basis. In the Triangle's eastern corner sits the Freetown Forest, a magnet for negative energy. 5,000 dense acres of former Wampanoag land that has been disturbed for centuries, a dumping ground for violent crimes and satanic rituals. Phantom orbs have been reported numerous times beaming out of the forest, including one directed at President Ronald Reagan. But he had an encounter with a, a UFO over the Freetown State Forest in Air Force One. The mysterious light came out of the forest from the area of the Asanet Ledge and was stalking Air Force One. And by the time the fighters joined up with Air Force One, this thing took off at incredible speeds. Northwest of Freetown and the Triangle's other corner sits Rehoboth. Route 44 pours in from neighboring Seekonk. And at the town line lurks the ghost of the red-headed hitchhiker. Some believe he was a farmer that was struck and killed back in the 50s while trying to help a passerby. Residents claim car accidents happen here far too often. And some have actually met Old Red. People have claimed that they've slowed down to offer him a ride and he disappears, uh, sometimes as he's reaching out for the door handle. A couple of people swear that he actually got into their vehicle and faded away. Here in the town of Rehoboth, there are more cemeteries per square mile than any other town in the Bay State. And along with all these tombstones come a lot of stories. The Village Cemetery, one of 25 in town, boasts numerous stories of cryptic, shadowy figures hovering over graves, while others claim they have seen a young boy at the Palmer River Cemetery darting from stone to stone in a playful game of hide-and-seek. Uh, probably one of the, the, the spookiest things that people have talked about is a soldier in colonial garb walking amongst the graves where there are known 
veterans buried in there. He's been seen dragging his fingers along the tops of the stones as he walks by, and then like a bubble popping, he disappears. The Bridgewater Triangle has its share of doubters. Andrew Lake says it's all a matter of time and space. He is a believer. Are there certain areas in the world where these dimensions can open doors to one another, and if you're in the right place at the right time, you see it? We're, we're not quite sure. We can speculate till doomsday, and I don't think we're ever really going to find the answers. Frank Malicote, Fox 25 News. Of course, that video can be found in its entirety in the show notes for tonight's episode. Our next story comes to us from across the pond. The following is Andy's ghostly encounter. Hello, Derek. I've decided to write you again as I have a couple more stories to tell you. Firstly, thank you for reading my last two stories on the show. Unfortunately, my stories do not involve cryptids or weird creatures in the woods, but they do involve some very creepy activity. The story I'm about to tell occurred on a vacation when I was a teenager. I am now 30, and this took place when I was 14 or 15. The job my dad had back then rented out log cabins to its employees. So my dad decided to take their offers up and book a vacation at one of the cabins in South Wales, UK, in a town called Tenby. It was a nice place. We had stayed twice before in this resort. The third time, though, we had a different cabin than usual. Tenby itself is near the coast, and our cabin was placed in a rural wooded area. Every time we were there, it seemed to be raining, or at the very least, overcast. Although it was picturesque, it had an eerie feeling to it. The cabin itself wasn't too big. It had a main floor with a kitchen area and a living room space with a tiny bedroom off the side and then a set of stairs leading to an open balcony area where there was a bedroom which my parents had. I had the small room, but I did not like it. I asked if I could just sleep on the couch, but it must have been too much effort to set up the bed. I decided just to take the small room. This bedroom had a vibe to it, even in the daytime. It was a thick and nefarious atmosphere that you could cut with a knife. One night, after playing on my Game Boy or whatever early 2000 teens did back then, I decided to go to bed. My parents were asleep and I made my way into bed and closed the door. I quickly got undressed, turned the lights off, and shot into bed before my mind got carried away with itself. I was laying in bed for 10 minutes or so, trying to drift off, and it felt like an eternity to me. The atmosphere was horrible as always, and I had an overwhelming feeling that I was being watched. It was so distressing I can still picture it now. While I was laying there in the bed, I felt something hit me, right in the stomach, on the covers. They were quite thick, and the only way I can describe it is it felt like someone put their arms out in front of them and fell forward onto their knees and slammed their outstretched arms onto my body. It had been a split second, and there was no hesitation in me, but I screamed as loud as I could, and my parents came down, probably thinking I was being murdered or something terrible. I told them what happened, but I don't know if they believed me or not. I wasn't asleep as I was struggling to relax in the room. So it was either my mind playing tricks on me or something in that room that did not want me there. Well, the feeling was mutual as I spent the rest of the time in the living area and never entered that room again. Keep up the good work. I've subbed and reviewed on iTunes and look forward to the next show. Thanks again. Thank you, Andy, and thank you for the review. I'm recording this episode in a studio I built in the basement of my very own cabin. So, this story sort of hit a nerve with me. Thank you again for taking the time to submit, and apologies for not attempting a British accent. Thanks again. 
Before we move on, I want to take a quick moment to apologize to Bishop, whom shared a story on last week's episode. If you recall, Bishop detailed a story about a ghostly encounter he had while living with his wife's grandparents. And unfortunately, the call was cut short by a technical error. Well, after doing some digging, I was able to recover the missing portion of the call. So, now I will play Bishop's Call in its entirety. Hi, how you doing? Um, my name is Bishop, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, I usually listen to your podcast while I'm at work, um, stocking shelves, but um, I have a bit of a ghost story. My family is actually pretty, uh, has you know, a fair amount of contact with Supernatural. Uh, my family actually comes from the Caribbean, from Jamaica. Um, I've heard stories of like cousins being held by by a paranormal entity, or uh, you know, my family would sprinkle salt around uh, to dispel to dispel the the spirit, and they would hear like screaming, like fly out the door and run down, and then fly down the road. They would hear like loud screaming noises. Um, but for me in particular, um, I had a situation where it was uh, 2013, and me and my wife were actually living with her grandparents and my wife would tell me a story about how growing up she would always see a man with a hat and a dark coat um, growing up but he would never bother her Um, you know maybe it was in my mind but you know being with her for a while uh, I would start to see this this supposed image of this man um, in 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 the apartment and like the way their hallway is set up is they have a mirror against the the entrance wall so you can actually see from the bedroom into the living room and uh, partly into the kitchen so every so on late nights when it was dark I would look into the mirror and maybe it was the light from the street um, hitting something to make it look like there was an image but I would look into the mirror and I would see something standing there uh, but that wouldn't be the only times like sometimes I'd be coming from the living room and passing the bathroom and for some reason the bathroom itself would be just be like extra dark I would feel something just I wouldn't say sinister but just I felt a presence but uh it was one night it was me my wife and our I think my daughter was two at the time we were all sleeping in a living room and we had like a, a small like pullout bed because we were staying for a little while and for some reason as I was sleeping I felt uh, pressure around my throat. Now I know of sleep paralysis, I've looked it up many times, but this felt a little different. Like I felt like it just getting, I just felt pressure around my throat. I felt it getting tighter. Uh, you know, I, I is like I appeared, I felt like my eyes were open and you know, so I felt like a dark image was over me. And I just, I just felt just this pressure. I couldn't move, and I was like, couldn't breathe. And every time I did try to gasp for air, like the pressure would just get tighter. I, it's like I fit, and then I felt myself actually reaching over to my wife and and trying to like pull on her shirt to wake her up. And I felt like my fingertips actually touch her shirt as I feel like like my air, my air supply being cut off, and um, it just. It just I didn't understand what was going on because I've had sleep paralysis before. I've had situations where I, you know, was half asleep, half awake, and I couldn't move. You know, this was just completely different. I just felt like somebody or something was actually trying uh, to, you know, to uh, to harm me, and I couldn't understand why or, you know, if did I did I do anything to upset it or whatever, you know, 
<clears throat> whatever have you. And it just, I was just so scared because it, it is just this, I've had situations with paranormal events before, but nothing of this caliber. It was just so just alarming and unnerving that I, it was just a weird feeling. I just still, to this day, it's a little hard to explain, but I was able to actually kind of get up out of it. Um, and I sat up in bed, I looked around, and you know, everything was dark. You could see the street lamp, the light from the street lamps coming into the room a little bit, but everything was dark. I looked into the hallway, because like I said, you could look could look from the bedrooms into the mirror, into the living room where we were staying and vice versa. I was just, I just sat up in bed and I was trying to uh, just just gasp for air, you know. It was, like I said, the room itself was, was dark. The only thing you could really see was a bit of the, the street lights the light, the, 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 the shine from the street lights coming through the window a little bit. And I just felt like after I was able to get up and sit up, like all that pressure was gone. Like I was gasping for air. I woke my wife up. She, I, I turned on the lights to see if there was anybody there. I looked around. Ever since that, um, that event, I've still felt this presence kind of, uh, kind of watching me, but not trying to get any closer, not trying to get too close, as if as if because I was strong enough to break out of whatever grasp it had me in, that it didn't want to uh, attempt to to deal with me anymore, but uh, still still let it let its presence be known. And uh, to this day, like every now and then, I'll still kind of get a feeling of of not necessarily being watched, but just being aware that something is there, but it's not as heavy as before. Um, like I said, my wife grew up with this entity, and she says it's never bothered her. So I don't know if maybe it's something it was something I did or over time that upset it, or maybe I dived into its territory and it finally got fed up and wanted to do something. Like I said, I've dealt with sleep paralysis, sleep paralysis before. Um, nothing this caliber. And yeah, it was just a terrifying experience. Uh, I just thought. <laughs> I just thought that I might not have had made it through the night if just didn't power myself through and, and will myself to actually get up. Um, but yeah, that was just my story. I've, I've had other supernatural run-ins. Um, I've, I've also seen my grandfather uh, after he's passed away. He passed away in Jamaica. I went there for a funeral when I was about eight years old. And a couple years later, probably about, uh, I'd say when I was 13, 14, I was coming down from the second floor onto uh, uh, our porch, onto the landing of the porch, and I could actually see him sitting in his old chair in like a uh, a nice card, like a, a burgundy cardigan with his like uh, corduroy pants, and he his legs crossed and like shaking his leg how he normally would. Now he didn't look at me, but there was I didn't feel any presence of, of danger or anything. He saw him for a second, he was gone. Um, I also have a sister who's eight years younger than I am who I think uh, when she was about seven or eight, she had saw him too, but she's never seen the man a day in her life. She was never, she wasn't born when he was alive. Uh, she had never seen a picture, described him, uh, our mom, and she, my mom, you know, backed her up like, yeah, that's my, that's my father. Like, you've never seen that man. How would you be able to describe him in such detail? Um, I've had situations where I would be asleep. I feel somebody playing with my and I'd wake up, I'd ask my mom, you know, are you in, are you touching my feet? She'd be like, no. 
is I've I've had me my family's had many run-ins with the paranormal. Um, some uh, a little bit more than others. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to share that. Uh, like I said, I I enjoy the podcast. I listen to it while I'm at work. Um, it, it definitely uh, allows me to kind of be that I'm not the only one. A lot of these end up. Actually, I actually like listening because I like to myself out to uh, and so I can uh, kind of. Uh, <laughs> dive more into paranormal to discover more and just learn about it so I can have a better understanding. But uh, I appreciate you listening. Um, like I said, I, I'll continue to watch. Always a big fan. And uh, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you again, Bishop, for sharing your story. I'm incredibly sorry that the gremlins hacked you, but it's nice to see them pick on someone other than me for once. Our next two calls come to us via voices we've come to know quite well. The first submitter, Scott, has shared a variety of stories, including a San Francisco Spectre and an up-close Sasquatch encounter. His latest submission is significant in that it happened quite recently. This is Scott's call. Hey, this is uh, Scott. I've called on previous shows, and, and for uh, listeners that maybe haven't heard my previous stories. Um, I am a retired from the Marine Corps, and, but like most military retirees, I'm too young, at least in my mind, I'm 54, too young to truly retire. So I, uh, after I retired from the Marine Corps, I took a job uh, as a surgical technician at our local hospital. And uh, I work the late afternoon shift. Um, I get off at 11.30 at night. And this story actually happened last night. So kind of timely which might be a change because most of the stories are a little older but anyhow um it's a smaller hospital and um usually by about seven o'clock at night in the surgical ring i'm, I'm alone and um taking care of my responsibilities and duties and, um we have an area off where i work it's called a sterile storage area so it's explanatory there's only two doors in and out um, one leads directly into the area where I work, and one leads into an adjacent hallway. And as I walked past the doorway to the, um, the sterile storage area, out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw kind of this dark, shadowy figure, but definitely a wild blind figure. Uh, and the room was, was dark, it's got light sensors, so it was kind of dark, but just hearing light coming into the room I was in. So I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Why is somebody in here at this time of night? And this is a secure storage, sterile storage area. And nobody's supposed to be in here, but uh, the guys are working on the apartment. So I wasn't thinking anything paranormal. I was like, you know, hey, what the, you know, what the heck? You know, you need to get out of here. And I walked into the room, and like I said, there's only two ways in. There's the door that I came through, and there's a door that's directly across. And then there's those uh, like roller shelves where we have all sorts of instruments and stuff set up. Looked like it went down uh, the first opening, but I had to pass through, pass by all the other openings in the shelves to get to that, that position, and nobody there. And uh, no feelings of, you know, spooky, eerie, scary, evil, nothing like that. I didn't feel anything. It was just like, well, okay, I was weird. There's, there's no way somebody got past me. There's no way that they went out that door without me noticing it since I was looking at it, but there's no other way out of the room. So, okay, I guess my eyes just 
playing tricks on me. Uh, got done with my shift. Um, and, uh, I think it's about 11:45. I got off, went home, and um, I have a, a cat. It's a Savannah cat, and the only real difference they can, they're bigger than normal cats. But the only real difference behavior-wise is they actually behave more like dogs than they do cats. Um, much more affectionate, to follow you around the house like a dog would, that kind of thing. And, and I have a retirement gift for me, and I have this cat. His name's Dusty. He follows me around everywhere just like a little puppy dog would. And I know it might sound weird for a guy my age, but rather than sitting there watching TV after my shift, uh, I, I like to play video games, and I'm uh, playing one right now called Titanfall 2. Well, I sat down, and Dusty jumped up on my lap like he already does, and I'm getting the console fired up, and getting ready to play, and got my headset on, and, and uh, been playing for, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, and and uh, a little side note, so this makes more sense. This cat of mine is like the most mellow cat on the planet. Uh, so anyhow, continuing on with my cat Dusty, he got attacked by another cat one time. Dusty's a pretty big cat; he's about 22 pounds, and he didn't puff up like cats do or take any kind of a defensive posture or anything. Really, to put a human look to his look was more like, dude, are you kidding me? And uh, the other cat, I think, was more alarmed by his lack of a reaction than, than anything and, and skulked away and took off. So it gives you a little idea. He's, uh, I guess to use an old phrase, he's a pretty cool cat. He's just, just not much stages in. And um, anyhow, he's sitting on my lap. I'm playing my game. Of course, with my headset on, I can't hear anything. And he kind of he jumps up on me. He's standing up on my lap, and he's looking down the hallway now. The way the room's set up, my back is facing the doorway and um but he's looking and then he jumps off and he's taking that predator stance where you know like he's stalking something and i thought maybe my my wife woke up and was like coming in and check on me or something so i looked down the hallway just turned it in my seat i can look down the hallway nope nothing there oh down at dusty well, now he's all puffed up and got this real aggressive posture, his tail's all puffed up, he's all pumped up, he's just staring down the hallway. And I'm like, what the heck, you know? And um, so I, I get out of my chair and I, I look down the hallway, did I miss something? I'm like, no, <coughs> excuse me, I apologize for that. I look down the hallway, I'm like, well, what the heck, you know? So I walk down the hallway, look in the one bedroom, uh, our kids are all grown up now, it's just a spare bedroom, nothing there. The uh, door to our bedroom is closed, the bathroom door is open, I look in the bathroom, nothing there. Um, open my head in, check on my wife, she's sleeping, nothing appears to be amiss. Walk around the rest of the front of the house, everything seems fine. And we come back and she's still staring and I'm following his line of sight and he's staring kind of up the upper corner of the wall and the ceiling where our bedroom door would meet with the door jam, but there's nothing there. And he sat there immobile, just locked on this position for probably two minutes after I had checked the house. And finally I was like, Dusty, it's okay, buddy, you know? And then he turned and looked at me and jumped up in my lap and curled back up into the wall. And, and uh, again, no feelings of 
regret or negativity or positive. No, I didn't feel anything. But, you know, I've heard often that animals are more sensitive. Animals can see things that we don't see. And, you know, kind of was thinking about it a little more and I'm kind of wondering if whatever I thought I saw anyhow and at the hospital, I wonder if it followed me home. And, but nothing's happened. Um, you know, no, no explained phenomena or anything dramatic like that, but uh, I know this isn't a particularly dramatic story, but uh, I thought it might be interesting to your listeners and to you. So anyhow, you guys have a great night. Keep up a good job. I love the podcast. I wait for it every week. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Thank you, Scott, as always. As a fellow cat owner and lover, I completely understand your concern when your pet suddenly freaks out at something you cannot see. Nine times out of ten, there's a tiny bug on the ceiling, but it's that tenth time that really gives you the chills. Thanks again for sharing your encounter, and do me a favor and say hi to Dusty for me. Up next, we hear from Bonnie. Like Scott, Bonnie is another frequent caller with stories ranging from a 15-foot-tall praying mantis to a run-in with a couple melon-head-type people. This is Bonnie's Call. Hi, Derek. This is Bonnie again. I just listened to uh, the podcast from this morning where you played my story about the uh, people with the strange shaped heads and dark eyes. And after what you said at the end, I feel compelled to call and um, tell about something that happened when I was uh, probably about the age of four to either eight or nine. When I was four, my, I have a younger sister who's 10 months younger than me. Um, my parents decided we had shared a room at the time and it was time to move her to her own room. And right about that time, when I had my own room and I was alone, I started waking up at night and seeing black cloaked figures standing outside my bedroom door kind of lined up in the hallway. Their backs were kind of against the wall and uh, the hood covered their face. I don't remember ever seeing a face, but just cloaked hooded figures. And initially when I would see them, I would scream out to my parents, whose bedroom was down the hall and to the left, and either my mom or my dad would, you know, get out of bed and turn on the light and come to see what I was screaming about. And of course, when the light came on, the figures would disappear. And they weren't there every single night, um, definitely frequently, but not every night. And so I became terrified to have any reason to have to get up at night. So if I needed anything to go to the bathroom or I just woke up and I saw them, I would start screaming. Well, it didn't take long for my dad to get really sick of this uh, behavior, waking him up a lot at night and disturbing his sleep since he had to get up in the morning to go to work. So he basically said, you're not allowed to cry out for us at night anymore. If you need to go to the bathroom, just turn on the light and go to the bathroom. And I was a very uh, timid child. I didn't want to make my parents upset. I was almost as scared of making my dad mad as I was of these figures in the hallway. So uh, since I couldn't call out to my parents anymore, I, if I urgently had to go to the bathroom, 
I developed a technique, whether I saw the figures or not, I was terrified. So I would leap out of bed, basically with my eyes closed to the light switch and flick on the switch. And then I would turn on the hall light and then I would turn on the bathroom light. And when it was time to go back to bed, I just left all the lights on. So after a few nights of this, my dad, of course, was PO'd that he was having to get up and turn off all these lights. And so he admonished me and said, you know, turn the lights off when you go back to bed. So I actually quit getting up at night <laughs> to go to the bathroom. And I started, if I had to go so bad, I would just keep pushing myself back to sleep, back to sleep. But there were quite a few times that I actually wet the bed because I refused to uh, go down this hallway with these figures standing there. Um, so this actually went on for quite a few years. Like I just, as I grew and got a little older, I just kind of lived with it. I knew they were there. I would try to explain to my parents what I was seeing. And my dad just said, you're dreaming. It's your imagination. And I think I was pretty good at knowing the difference between being asleep and dreaming and being awake and seeing something, especially since it wasn't there every single time. I could see when it was there and when it wasn't. So this went on for quite a while. And I think that I really changed as a person during the time that it was happening. I started having horrible, horrible nightmares. And, you know, if you want to hear about the nightmares, I'll call back and tell those in a separate story. Um, because I know it's really easy to say that kids have vivid imaginations and they have crazy dreams, but these dreams were different than normal dreams. And it kind of plunged me into a dark place in my life. I was getting sick a lot. I was terrified to be alone. I was terrified to be in the dark. Um, I would cling to people. I didn't want to go do anything on my own. I didn't want to be away from my family. Um, I did spend a lot of time with my grandparents, and I felt safe at my grandma's house. Um, I didn't have things happen there. Um, but we lived in that house until I was nine, and that was when we moved to Washington. So this was all happening in the Portland, Oregon area. And my sister would also tell me little things here and there when we were growing up in that house that she would see things. She talked about a shadowy man. Like I know back then there was no term shadow man, but this is exactly what she described that this shadow man would walk past her door. And she also had horrible nightmares while we lived in that house. Um, she also started sleepwalking, which was really strange. My parents would sometimes get up at night and find her like in the garage or in the kitchen, just kind of wandering aimlessly and muttering things and she was never fully awake and they would just put her back to bed. So, you know, fast forward, we moved to Washington. I was so glad that we were moving away from that house because at the age of nine, you're kind of aware of what ghosts were and, um, you know, you knew about those kind of things. So I just thought that was a haunted house. But 
about a year and a half ago, I really started listening to podcasts because I moved from Illinois to South Carolina and I didn't know anybody and I wasn't working yet. So I kind of delved into podcasts and I started out listening to a lot of ghost story podcasts and then kind of started cross-referencing into other other podcasts and um, like The Fray. And I think that actually may have been where I heard your interview. And so I started hearing more and more things um, about alien encounters and people talking about when they were little that um, they would see cloaked figures or a lot of experiences that seemed to be quite similar to what I was going through at the time. And I'm kind of rushing through the story, so I am leaving a lot of things out. But um, I'm starting to think that maybe I've had a lot more than just ghostly experiences in my life that maybe, especially when you said about being followed and watched, I can't help but think because I've had things happening my whole life that there's a really good possibility for that. And I've never really told the story from that angle, thinking that it might be um, more alien than ghost because I didn't really think or know about that when I was young. But um, I know there's a lot of skeptics, but those of us who have had things happen and it just keeps following throughout our lives, we can't really deny that something is happening. So I just kind of wanted to share that, especially if there's anybody else out there that has memories from childhood uh, that, you know, maybe no one believed them and no one understood them because that's what happened to me. I felt so alone and so different than everybody else because I could see things and experience things that no one had any comprehension of. So I just want to say thank you so much for providing the space for people to tell their stories and kind of get stuff off their chest and be believed. Um, so yeah, if you want to hear anything about the dreams, uh, they're, they're very strange, <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you so much. And I'll, I'll shoot that other story that I uh, tape recorded uh, also at another time. Okay. Thanks so much, Derek. Bye-bye. Thank you, Bonnie, for sharing yet another story. It's hard to say exactly what the entities were, but approaching the encounter with aliens in mind, it's difficult to imagine they would travel all this way simply to stand in a little girl's hallway. I suppose the same philosophy could be applied to interdimensional beings as well. That said, it seems you've encountered these individuals enough times to determine that they were not a figment of your own imagination, which leaves us with the question of who were they? Without suggesting a conspiracy theory, I wonder if this encounter is connected with your other stories. After all, they all seem to have a common thread. Thank you again for submitting. It's always great to hear from you. And that does it for this episode, but before I go, I want to remind you that if you have a few free moments, please rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcatcher you use. The reviews only take a few moments to submit, but the effects are immeasurable. Thank you to all those that have left reviews in the past. I'm still looking for ideas for the Season 3 finale episode, so if you have any suggestions on a theme, don't hesitate to contact me via Facebook or email. If you have an encounter story and you'd like to share, give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Keep in mind, you can always visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the Report Your Sightings tab. 
There you will find both an email for the show and a submission form where you can submit your story 100% anonymously. I look forward to hearing all your stories. And last but not least, music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. <laughs>